in his presence this morning. And just as the song we just sang said, in your presence, I am content. And not just that, but in the presence of the Lord, we feel his power. We feel the expressions of his love. And not just that, also the revelation of his power and his might. That is not my message, but as I was singing, God was just, you know, revealing his uh, word to me in a new way. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank God today to be given the opportunity once again to be before his presence, to listen to his word, and also to fellowship. Amen. As we all know, last Sunday was Easter, and we all congregated. We had a few, uh, two weeks of uh, programming leading up to Easter, and then Resurrection Sunday was one big uh, congregation um, in our other location on Tolland. And the power of God was felt mightily. Amen. So in that same light, in that same understanding, in the same season of Easter that we are in, uh, we're going to continue today with um, a message I have titled, After the Resurrection, Access Granted. After the Resurrection, Access Granted. Amen. Shall we share a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. The entrance of your word, O oh God, brings light, and it brings understanding to the simple. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Lord, as your word is coming, that it would be a light, O oh God, unto us. May it cause us to open the eyes of our understanding. May we know and experience and appreciate your word in a new and a different way. And at the end, O oh God, all glory will be returned unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I also want to thank the leadership of the church for giving me you know, this chance even to share uh, his word with every one of us. Amen. amen. So as the theme or the topic of discussion today after the resurrection, access granted. How many of us have been to a hotel before with keyless entry where you have to tap? We've all done it, at least, you know, courtesy of the Church of Pentecost. Before COVID, you would have done it at Easter because you would have gone to an Easter convention at a hotel. And so if you've ever had the wrong key given where you tap, and it just goes doop, and then nothing happens. And then you tap again, and then doop, nothing happens. Until you tap, and then finally that key unclicks, and you're like, hallelujah, I've been saved. I have gained access or entry. And so this, you know, kind of little illustration here is just to give us some insight as to where our message will be going today. We're going to read two passages. We'll read them, we'll put them on the back burner, and then we'll circle back onto them as the message continues. So if you have your Bibles, may you please open with me Matthew 27, 
the verse number 50 to 51. Matthew 27, verse number 50 to 51. And if you are there on your own Bible, you can say a big amen. amen. If not, it is projected up there. And it says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Note that little detail there is very relevant. The earth shook, the rocks split. Shall we continue? To the next one, please. Or if not, we'll just go to Mark 15, 37 to 38. And it's Mark's, so we just read Matthew's account of this incident, and this is Mark's account of the same incident. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, Yet again, that same detail, from the top to the bottom. Amen. Amen. So put these two memory verses in the back of your mind as we proceed. So the reason that Jesus came to die, or came to the earth to die, was to serve as a bridge for man to connect back to God. And why did Jesus have to come? Because man, back in Genesis, had done something and separated himself from God. So if we look back in all the book of beginnings, Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, man and God interacted freely. If we go to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8, and I'd like for us to read that. Genesis 3, 8. It says, and Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So when I read this little verse, two insights occurred to me. The first is, you know, if we should split this verse in two, it says, and man, they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That means God was visiting them. And so I like to use my imagination sometimes. And so, you know, in the Middle East where the um, Old Testament uh, takes place, it's a dry desert climate. And so I was thinking in the garden there's a tree, cool, breezy. So think of it in America, you are down south, Tennessee, Texas, South Carolina. They have porches. People can sit outside on their porch as the sun goes down, enjoy conversation with friends. So in my mind's eye, this is how I pictured that God would come and interact with Adam and Eve as the day was winding down because, you know, God loved the interaction between himself and man. 
Then the second portion of this verse, what it tells me is that sin, you know, after they had sinned, after they had done what God has said not to do, caused them to hide from God. And so that is what sin does. Sin causes us to separate ourselves or to hide away from the presence of God. So you see what we really lost in the garden was our access to God. So from that point began several thousand years of the journey of man back to God or the reconciliation of man to God. We see, you know, God in the Old Testament would choose special people with whom he would interact because the core nature of our God is he is a relational God. He is always seeking to interact with his creation. But over and over and over and over and over again, you know, if you have time and you read the Old Testament, you will see how many times man failed to meet the standard of right standing with God. So when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, which is the presence of God, they lost that unrestricted access, where God could just come, you know, sit on your front porch and just have a conversation with you. That was lost. There are several examples in the Old Testament where chosen people, you know, had access to the Father. Uh, we can see starting from Abraham, you know, where God would come, converse with him. Abraham, as we know, has been called, you know, the father of faith. He enjoyed some measure of access to God. He was a very devout man, but even then, he only interacted with God, although he would hear God, he would speak with him. It was restri wasn't restricted, but it was only a handful of times. It wasn't constant. Then, you know, all through the journey of, you know, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of that, we don't see that interaction anymore until Moses comes around. And then we said that God says of Moses, my servant Moses is not... Let me read it here as I have written it in Exodus 12, uh, 7 to 8. We don't have to project it. I, I wrote it down so we can read it. So my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and in the, sim and the similitude of the Lord he shall behold, or the face of the Lord he shall behold. So... Moses had more of access. Moses, we see when he spent the 40 days up on the Mount Sinai, he beheld the glory of God. So up until now, you know, throughout the generations from starting from Abraham, Moses was the one that had some form of access where he could speak with God, he could change God's mind, he could negotiate with God, or he could bargain with God. But that was only Moses. The rest of Israel knew nothing about this kind of access. But that was not the intention of God when he created man. He didn't create man so that he would only interact with man just through one person. He wanted to interact with all of his creation. Amen. 
So God's interaction with his people, you know, was through prophets. You know, we can list all the number of prophets in the Old Testament. And starting from Moses' time, when God, you know, gave uh, the commandments, and God told the Israelites through Moses to go on this journey through the promised land. And of course, the Israelites did something they weren't supposed to do, you know, as usual, because they were people. And then God was so upset. He said, you know, go by yourselves. And then Moses said, I will not go until your presence goes with us. And so then God gave instructions in Exodus how to build his ark. And these are detailed. I was reading it and I was marveled at the detail of instruction that God gave. And then so the presence of God rested in the ark of the covenant so that God would then be in or with his people. And so we see that God interacted with the people through this tabernacle where, you know, when we read Exodus 29, verses 42 to 43, the Lord said to them, there shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto you, and there I will meet with the children of Israel. So they saw the glory of God in the ark. However, there are access again was restricted. It was like God telling them, you know, come to my front door. I'll meet you there. We can talk, you know. You stand outside, I'll be inside, and we can have a conversation. If you ever came to my house. And then I'm like, yeah, at the front door. And I'm like, okay, hey, how are you? Okay, good. All right, everything is all right? Okay, thanks, bye-bye. That is not how you interact with somebody you're close with. So, and you know, it's not the friendly way up until, you know, COVID changed everything. But usually if someone comes to your door to interact with you, you open the door and you let them in, except, you know, they're politicians or they're trying to sell you something. So this, again, wasn't the ideal interaction. So we see here again in the tabernacle where now Moses had access. Now God told him to appoint Aaron also so he could also have access into the tabernacle or into his place. So we find, I'll read quickly Exodus 19 verse 6. So the people had just left Egypt and planned to camp at Sinai. It's there the Lord tells Moses that if they keep his covenant, there would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what he wants for the people. Moses proceeds to consecrate them, preparing the nation for this specific role of being a priestly kingdom. Since the people would not come to God, he would have them come to them, God gave Moses the specifications of the tabernacle, as I was talking about, in great detail. What it was to be made of, what it was supposed to be, in it, the structure of its contents, this elaborate architecture and language was a prolonged prelude to the big reveal 
in Exodus 40, when God descended in fire and thundering and in smoke. The presence of the Lord now had a resting place among the people in a tangible way, as sure, as sure enough as it accompanied them through their journey. Inside the tabernacle, there were three spaces. And you know, as we're building our message up, which I found very fascinating, just because we could use our sanctuary here as a clear example. So there was the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. So let's use again our uh, uh, sanctuary here. This would be considered the outer court, where the general congregation, everybody would sit. And then think of the stage or our platform here as the holy place, which was all restricted only to priests. So I'm sure back in the temple, if we are to Google the picture of a temple, there probably might be some demarcation or some guardrail, knowing that the congregation is here and the priests are here. And then there was the most holy place or the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go and only on the Day of Atonement. So the most holy place could only be visited by one person on one day out of the whole year. And the separation of the holy place from the most holy place was by a veil. And so, you know, God has blessed us, and we have a veil we can use for this illustration. And so the veil of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, or the most holy place, is where the covenant of God was placed. And so once a year, the high priest would go into the presence of God. I would like for us to read Hebrews 9, verse number 1 to 8. Hebrews 9, verse number 1 to 8. If we are there, we'll say a big amen. So now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its First room was the lampstand and the table. Oh, you went too quickly for me. And a table with its contents. Uh -huh, let's go on. Consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly onto the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself, 
and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way unto the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first. So as we can see here, tabernacle was still functioning. So as we can see here, to be able to get into the most holy place, it was only one person. And what the high priest had to do when he was getting onto that place was consecration. He had to bathe himself in there. He had to wear specific garments. He had to purify himself. And even if he didn't do it right, right there and there, he could be struck down dead. If you read Leviticus 16 verses 1 to 34, you get a very clear picture of what they had to go through just to consecrate themselves to get into the most holy place, which is the presence of God. So on the day of atonement, these two things happened. Seeing the presence and the glory of God and also covering their sins or atoning their, for their sins for the next day. I hope you are seeing the picture that I am trying to create here or I'm trying to paint for us. If you are, say a big amen with me. So throughout the years, you know, we see Aaron would have been burdened to go through this. But, you know, man had separated himself from God. There were people, you know, King David, as we know that God said he is the man after my own heart. But even David could not access the holy place. You know, that's why he wrote that, um, I will enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Never did he mention anything about the holy place nor the holy of holies because he never had access. He cried and he yearned that as the deer panther for water, so my soul longs after you. You know, he said in Psalm 42 verse 7 that deep calls unto deep. David yearned to behold the presence of God, but he couldn't because he didn't have access. So in spite of the glory of God in the temple, you know, in spite of the visions that the prophets had or the power that they had, they still could not enter the holy or the most holy place unless they were a high priest. Access was restricted and even sometimes denied until Jesus. Say with me, until Jesus. Oh, say it like it is true, until Jesus. So now when we go back to what we had read before in Matthew and in Mark, that when Jesus cried on the cross, the Lord in your hands I give my spirit and then gave up his ghost, then the earth shook and then the temple veil tore from top to bottom because what the, at that time uh, the understanding would have been that the earth shook so violently that the veil tore. But then that would have meant it tore from bottom up. Because it tore from top to bottom, we know that it wasn't outside influence, but only the power that is in the blood of Jesus that would have caused the veil to tear in a man. 
So we see that Jesus comes, and in that one glorious moment where he cried out and gave up his ghost, the temple veil tears. So at that moment of Jesus' death, you know, that separation quite literally, you know, was broken. And so when we had separation, physical separation, where you could not enter the presence of God, or you could not enter the most holy place because there was a veil covering. Now that physical separation was broken. And then also the spiritual separation that man had where we couldn't access the presence of God because of sin. Jesus came, he died, and by his death, now we also have spiritual access to the presence of God. And so that when, you know, Hebrews, which we're going to read, says that now Jesus is our high priest, so that we do not have someone who has to go and bathe, we do not have someone who has to wear special clothing, we do not have someone that has to go and cover our sins and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, but Jesus, by his blood that was sprinkled for you and I, now we have gained access into the presence of God. Amen. And so the significance of Jesus' death, the significance of the veil tearing is that now our access has been granted. Somebody say access granted. Access granted. And so now we can at any point of day, we can, it doesn't matter where we are, we can say Abba Father and we gain access into the presence of God. Amen. So when we read Hebrews 10, I will read it so we don't have to project it, 19 to 22, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18 says, But now in Christ Jesus, who you who once were far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who was made both one and has broken the wall of down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of con commandments contained in the ordinances so as we create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, to those who were near. From through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Hebrews 14, 4, 14-16 says, Seeing that we have a great high priest, 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so through the access that we have, through the veil being torn, now we now have access into the presence of God. Now we have access to God's forgiveness so that, you know, when we say, Lord, you know, this, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did, Lord, forgive me. As long as we confess with our mouths, our forgiveness is granted. And through the veil being torn, we have access to God's power. And through that, we also have access even to be with God, that even in death, just as Jesus told, you know, uh, the sinner uh, being um, crucified next to him, that today you will be with me in paradise. And so through this, we have opportunity to reconcile ourselves with God to the full or to the maximum. Amen. And so when we come into the presence of God, just as 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, says, now the spirit of the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And just as Psalm 16.11 says, in your fullness, there, in your presence, there is fullness of joy, and there are pleasure, pleasures forevermore. So when we come to the presence of God, now we don't need a priest to usher us. We don't need a high priest to go consecrate ourselves. But as we come into the presence of God, we are free to express our joy. We are free to shout and to sing hallelujah because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Sometimes we might think that oh, everything has to be going on well before you have the fullness of joy but the Bible has said unto us that we can may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning because we know that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we are not doing it alone because the presence of the Lord is with us and we have this access because the veil was torn. Amen. So let us go back to Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So, approaching the throne of grace with confidence, I believe was said because the number one thing the Bible tells us about the devil is that he is the accuser of the brethren. Sometimes when you are in the presence of God, you know, oh, I'm feeling the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah. That is when the devil will remind you, oh, do you know what you did last time? And so, when we come boldly, 
you know, regardless of what the accuser of the what the devil is telling us we've done, we are not, you know, our guilty conscience is not an impediment because the who the Son has set free is truly free indeed. So when you come, you know, even if the devil tries to tell you, oh, with your guilty conscience, you can shake it off because you can come boldly into the presence of the Lord. And then it says that we may obtain grace and mercy. You know, we all know the definition of grace, which is unmerited favor. You know, where you go places you're not supposed to go, and you get access to things you're not supposed to get, where you get some promotion or something that you know this was not by my doing, but it was by the grace of God. A few years ago, one of my uncles, who's also a pastor, um, gave another definition divine enablement as in the power of God to help you to do something grace because you know there are some things that you know human strength and ability will not achieve and that when you are able to achieve it you can only know that it was by the grace or the divine enablement of God and so when we come to the presence of God we have you know unmerited favor where God takes us unto heights that only he can take us but then he also gives us the strength to be able to do what we need to do and then not only that but we also receive mercy in time of need. You know, we all know with our Christian walk, you know, there will be the times where you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. There will be times where you would have to face, you know, your valley of dry bones. But what the Bible is telling us that if we approach the throne of God with confidence, that we will receive mercy in our time of need. You know, it could be financial need, it could be health need, it could be marital need. It does not matter what the need is, but what the Bible is assuring us this morning is that whatever the need is, we will receive mercy in that time of need. Shout a big amen with me this morning. So our access through Jesus has been granted so that when we come into the presence of God, we are able to receive our forgiveness. We are able to have access to the power of God. We are able to now enjoy the presence and the glory of God. I'm sure Elijah would have wished that he lived in our time. I'm sure that all the other prophets, Isaiah would have wished he lived in our time where he could also enjoy the presence of God, unrestricted access, so that any time he wants to speak with God, regardless of where he is, he would be able to speak with him. One time I was sharing this analogy that if I visit somebody's house, you know, and throughout the years I lived, you know, with our uncles and aunties, where the children of the house had access any time of day to their parents' bedroom, but, you know, the nephews and nieces, all you could do was stand at the bedroom door and then call out to come in. And so the veil tore so that now if I need my Abba Father, 
at 2 a.m. If I need them when I'm in my kitchen, if I need them when I'm in my bathroom, if I need them when I am driving, I do not need to be attuned. I do not need special clothing. I do not need a special passport. All I need to do is to call on to God and he will answer me. And so this is what I want us to understand this morning is that we have access. We have access. We have access to the throne of God. We have access to the presence of God. We have access regardless of where we are, regardless of what we think we have done. We have access to the presence of God. Shall you be on your feet with me as we lift up a prayer of thanksgiving? That Lord, I want to say thank you for the access that I have. Just lift up your voice and say, Lord, I want to thank you for the access that you have given 